My name is Nate Phillips, and I am the champion of J.I.W. After our debut episode of season four took the world by storm, the high, yeah, that's right, the highest rated premiere in J.I.C.N. history, and it's all because of me, and this is my confidant, the man closest to me. Hit him with a little bit of that bubbly buckles. Check us out on Journey Into Wrestling, where the podfather and I run down everything from the bingo halls to the brightest delights. If it's in between the ropes, it's on Journey Into Wrestling. Every other Wednesday on the Journey Into Comics Network. What on earth is that? It's a Journey Into Comics Network production! Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode 58 of Poor 360. I am your host, as always, Andrew Porno. Thank you for joining me here on this Nice February Tuesday we have here. Now before I get into what I'm going to talk about today, I want to give all of my listeners a quick update for those of you who are voting, and I encourage all of you to do, when your deadlines are to register. Um, we've seen some, we already had some caucuses, we know that a lot of the big primaries are coming up, so just want to be mindful because they are coming up quick. So I just want to give over that for everyone. So I'm going to go through all the 50 states. Real quick, alphabetical order, obviously. Letting you know when your red, your your primary registration date is. So, for Alabama, it's February 15th. So, it has already passed. Um, so, hopefully you got a chance to do it because the uh, your, prim- your primary slash caucus date is... March 3rd, so that's why it was the 15th. For Alaska, it's February 19th, so that is day after. Uh, so it's not, it's uh, tomorrow for those of you uh, listening. Arizona is today. Um, Arkansas's was uh, February 3rd. California's is today. Colorado's is next Monday, so 224. Uh, Connecticut is not for a while, it's April 23rd. Uh, Delaware is April 4th. The District of Columbia is May 12th. Florida is also today. Uh, Georgia is also next Monday. Hawaii is today. Idaho already passed. It was on Valentine's Day. Uh, Illinois, which I know um, I have Illinois, so I'm, I'm already registered, but it is today. Uh, Indiana, where I know we have a lot of listeners in Indiana, you have till April 6th. So get on it if you aren't already registered. Um, Iowa uh, was a while ago because we already had the Iowa caucus, so that's been done. Uh, Kansas is March 5th. Kentucky is 420. Get on it, 420. Uh, Louisiana is March 4th. Maine already happened. It was the uh, the 11th of February. Maryland is April 7th. Massachusetts is, oh, it was, already the, it was last week. It was the 12th. Uh, Michigan is next Monday. Uh, Minnesota is the... Uh, already happened. It was the 11th as well. Mississippi was the 10th. 
Missouri was the 12th. Uh, so I'm sorry. Hopefully this is it. news to you. Hopefully if you knew it was upcoming that you definitely paid mind to that. Uh, Montana is May 4th. Nebraska is April 24th. Nevada is the 22nd, so it's the end of the week. Uh, New Hampshire, uh, obviously already happens because we have the New Hampshire uh, primary, or kind of like the caucus primary thing. New Jersey is the 12th. New Mexico, uh, sorry, the 12th of May. New Mexico is the 5th of May. Um, I don't know if that's a reason that the fact that Cinco de Mayo, New Mexico, I, I don't think there's a correlation. Uh, New York is April 3rd. North Carolina already happened. That was the 7th of February. North Dakota, they don't have that information available, which is interesting. Their primary is uh, March 10th, so probably you should have done it by now. Uh, Ohio is uh, today, as you're listening to it. Oklahoma was a couple weeks ago, so unfortunately you missed that. Oregon is April 28th. Pennsylvania is April 13th. Rhode Island is March 29th. South Carolina was a long time ago. That was the end of January. Because um, their, um, their primary is the end of the week. Um, or not, sorry, the end of the week. End of next week. Uh, South Dakota is May 18th. Tennessee already happened. That was the 3rd of February. Texas was the same. 3rd. Utah as well. And Vermont. All those were February 3rd. Uh, Virginia was February 10th. Washington is March 2nd. West Virginia is April 21st. Wisconsin is March 18th. And Wyoming is March 20th. So definitely, if you're in the United States, if you want to vote, if you're impassioned enough, please register. Um, don't just show up on your on the day of the primary and try and vote if you're not registered because that's going to be a problem. Uh, if you do miss the deadline, you can still uh, register later for the general. So, but sooner the better you can do that. You can vote in the primary, especially if you're a Democrat, um, because it gives you more choice. Because really, once you get to the general, your choice is Democrat or Republican at that point, or independent, I guess is true. But since we are still primarily a two party system, that's the way it has to be. So, I just want to drop those dates for you. Um, I'll give you a link uh, to the source I have, which is headcount.org slash deadline hyphen dates. So you can check that out. Um, has the same information as well as when your primary is and um, all of that. So definitely check that out um, if you're not registered. I know hopefully a lot of you already are, but just something to keep in mind if you haven't uh, pulled the trigger on that yet. Now, before I get into really want to, um, now I kind of want to get into what I want to talk about today, which kind of came to me um, kind of this morning. Someone was uh, sharing stuff on Facebook, probably Nate or something, because he's a very active uh, poster uh, regarding the current primary race, which is good for him. He doesn't, you definitely need to get the voice out there. It put, keeps in people's heads so they make sure they vote, that they're a um, they're knowledgeable voter going in, they're informed, all of that. Uh, and one that's come up recently that's been a big talking point is this whole Medicare for All thing. And I realized as I was kind of preparing this that uh, last week tonight with John Oliver, which is a late night uh, show um, hosted obviously by John Oliver, and it was the first episode back was on Sunday, and he goes into a long, about 20-minute kind of spiel um, segment about Medicare for All, 
how it differs from Medicare for all who want it, uh, which is uh, what some Democrats are in favor of. But I thought it'd be nice to talk about this because after, because going into this, I was thinking, well, I already have health care through my employer uh, that I pay for and um, is a fully single-payer health care system that's government-funded that everyone has, is that better or worse? And then after uh, hearing or listening, watching on YouTube, so if you search out um, Last Week Tonight, Medicare for All, it'll come up. It's like an 18-minute video. It's very informative. It's very funny. It does kind of bluntly talk about it, and I encourage everyone to check it out. Obviously, I would like this show to be at that level, but there's a very well-oiled machine with writers and everything, and that's something that this show will never be, despite my best efforts. But maybe one day. You never know. So what... Um, but I did find some stuff that kind of talks about what Medicare for All is. Um, also kind of some other details about single-payer health care. And so let's just kind of talk about it and see... because, And then I'll kind of share a little bit about health care from my perspective and what's been going on... Um, at least I've been kind of paying attention to the whole healthcare thing since I've been paying into it as an adult. So, jump in. I got the wiki article pulled up about single-payer healthcare because I think that is uh, helpful. Um, like I've done always with the show is that Wikipedia, despite the fact that you can edit yourself, for most general information, we're not writing a book report, is accurate enough, I will say. So, Single-payer healthcare is a type of universal healthcare that you pay for by taxes that cover the cost of essential healthcare for all residents, with costs covered by a single public system, hence the single-payer title. Now, single-payer systems may contract for healthcare services from private organizations, as in the case of Canada, or may own and employ healthcare resources and personnel, as is the case in the United Kingdom. Single-payer describes the mechanism by which healthcare is paid for by a single public authority, not by a private authority, nor a mix of both. So, the single healthcare system pays for all covered healthcare-related services by a single government or government-related source. It is strategy employed by governments to achieve several goals, including universal healthcare, decreased economic burden of healthcare, and improved health outcome for the population. Universal healthcare worldwide was established as a goal of the World Health Organization in 2010 and adopted by the United Nations General Assembly in 2015 for the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. A single-payer health system established one health risk pool consisting of the entire population of a geographic or political region. It also establishes one set of rules for different for services offered, reimbursement rates, drug prices, and minimum standards for acquired services. In wealthy nations, that that kind of publicly managed insurance is typically extended to all citizens and legal residents. Examples include the United Kingdom's National Health Service, Australia's Medicare, Canada's Medicare, and Taiwan's National Health Insurance. So the history of the term, the single-payer was coined in the 1990s to characterize the difference between the Canadian healthcare system from the likes of United Kingdom. The Canadian healthcare system is one where the government provides the funds for health insurance, but the healthcare is provided through private agencies. The system in the United Kingdom is one where the government provides the funds and delivery of the healthcare. So the standard usage of the term single-payer healthcare refers to health insurance as opposed to healthcare delivery operating as a public service and offer to citizens and legal residents towards providing nearly universal or universal health care. The funds can be managed by the government directly or as a publicly owned and regulated agency. So single-payer contrasts with other funding mechanisms like multi-payer, multiple public and or private sources, two-tiered, defined as either a public source with the option to use qualifying private coverage as a substitute or as a public source for catastrophic care backed by private insurance for common medical care. 
and insurance mandate, citizens are required to buy private insurance which meets the national standard and which is generally subsidized. Some system combines elements of these four funding mechanisms. So in contrast, the standard use of the term some writers describe all publicly administered systems as single-payer plans. Others have described any system of healthcare which intends to cover the entire population, such as voucher plans as single-payer plans, although these uses generally don't meet strict definitions of the term. And we know, like I said, a lot of countries have it. Canada, Taiwan, the United Kingdom, South Korea, all of that. But I want to kind of focus mainly on the United States because obviously the majority of my listeners, um, I would say probably 90 to 95% of my listeners are from the United States. For those of you that are outside the United States, um, if you want me to talk specifically to you, please reach out. I'll be happy to kind of delve more into your specific country's healthcare system and all of that. But more more than likely you're already very familiar since you're from there. So, but Medicare in the United States is the public health care system, but is restricted to persons over the age of 65, people under 65 who have specific disabilities, and anyone with end-stage renal disease. So a number of proposals have been made for universal single-payer health care system in the United States, among them the United States National Health Care Act, popularly known as H.R. 676, or Medicare for All, originally introduced in the House in February of 2003, and repeatedly since. I didn't realize it was that long ago that Medicare for All was actually... Proposed, So that's interesting. Uh, on July 18th, 2018, it was announced that over 60 House Democrats would be forming a Medicare for All caucus, which exists as far as I'm aware, so that's at least something. Advocates argue that preventative health care expenditures can save several hundreds of billions of dollars per year because publicly funded universal health care would benefit employers and consumers, that employers would benefit from a bigger pool of potential customers, and that employers would likely pay less would be spared administrative costs and inequities uh, between employers would be reduced, pretty high cost in the primary reason Americans give for problems assessing health care. Over 27 million, the number of people without health insurance co- excuse me, coverage in the United States is one of the primary concerns raised by advocates of health care reform. Lack of health insurance associated with increased mortality, about 60,000 preventable deaths per year depending on the study, study done at Harvard Medical School with Cambridge Health Alliance showed that nearly 45,000 annual deaths are associated with the lack of patient health insurance. The study also found that uninsured working Americans have a risk of death about 40% higher compared to privately insured working Americans. Advocates also argue that single payer could benefit from a more fluid economy without, with increasing economic growth, aggregate demand, corporate profit, and quality of life. Those have estimated a long-term savings amount to 40% of all national health expenditures due to the extended preventative health care. Although estimates from the Congressional Budget Office and the New England Journal of Medicine have found that preventive care is more expensive due to increased utilization, which I guess that makes sense. Uh, any nation, any nationalism would be paid for in part through taxes replacing insurance premiums, but the CAFAs also believe savings would be realized through preventative care and the elimination of insurance company overhead and hospital billing costs. To this analysis of single-payer bill by physicians for a national health program, Estimates immediate savings at $350 billion per year. The Commonwealth Fund believes that if the United States adopted a universal health care system, the mortality rate would improve and the country would save approximately $570 billion a year. Opponents argue that access to health care diminishes under single-payer systems that overall quality of care suffers. Opponents also claim that single-payer systems cause shortages of general physicians and specialists and reduce access to medical technology. Government is increasingly involved in U.S. healthcare spending, paying about 
40% of the $2.2 trillion the nation spends on individual medical care in 2004. However, studies have shown that the publicly administered share of health spending in the U.S. may be closer to 60% as of 2002. Uh... According to Princeton University health economist Yui Reinhardt, U.S. Medicare, Medicaid, and State Children's Health Insurance Program, or SHIP, sorry, I just adjusted my screen and I lost what I was reading, um, represents forms of social insurance coupled with large private health care deliveries rather than forms... rather than forms of socialized medicine. In contrast, he describes the Veterans Administration healthcare system as a pure form of socialized medicine because it's owned, operated, and financed by the government. In a peer-reviewed paper off, published in the Annals of Internal Medicine, the Annals of Internal Medicine researchers of the RAND Corporation reported that the quality of care received by Veterans Administration patients scored significantly higher overall than did comparable metrics for patients currently using United States <coughs> United States Medicare. The United States National Health Care Act is a perennial piece of legislation introduced many times um, many times in the United States have represented by the representative John Conyers, the Democrat from Michigan. The act would establish a universal single-payer health care system in the United States, the rough equivalent of Canada's Medicare, the United Kingdom's National Health Care Service, and Taiwan's Bureau of National Health Insurance, among other examples. The bill was first introduced in 2003 and has been reintroduced in each Congress since. During the 2009 health care debates over the bill that became the Patient Protection Affordable Care Act, H.R. 676 was expected to be debated and voted upon by the House in September 2009, but was never debated. In the wake of Bernie Sanders' 2016 presidential campaign, in which a push for universal health care featured prominently single-payer proposals gained traction, Conyers reintroduced his bill in the House of Representatives in January 2017. Four months later, the bill was supported by 112 co-sponsors, surpassing for the first time the 25% mark of co-sponsorship. In September of the same year, Sanders himself, together with 16 co-sponsors, introduced a Medicare for All bill in the Senate, uh, Senate Bill 1804. An analysis of a Mercedes Center study of the United, um, here we go. Now, of the McCartis Center study of the 2017 proposal by economist, economist, sorry, Jeffrey Sachs found that it rightfully and straightforwardly concludes that Medicare for All or M4A would provide more health care coverage at a lower cost than the status quo, projecting a net reduction in national health expenditures of roughly $2 trillion over a 10 year period between 2022 and 2031 while also enabling increased health care coverage. The Congressional Budget Office and related government agencies scored the cost of a single-payer health care system several times since 1991. The General Accounting Office published a report in 1991 noting that if the U.S. were to shift to a system of universal coverage in a single-payer, as in Canada, the savings in administrative cost, 10% of health spending, would be more than enough to offset the expenses of universal coverage. The CBO scored the cost in 1991, noting that the population that is currently uninsured could be covered without dramatically increasing national spending on health, and that all U.S. residents might be covered by health insurance for roughly the current level of spending, or even somewhat less, because of savings in administrative costs and lower payment rates for services used by the privately insured. 
A CB report in 1993 stated that the net cost of achieving universal insurance coverage under the single-payer system would be negative, in part because consumer patients for health for health would fall by $1,118 per capita, but taxes would have to increase by $1,261 per capita in order to pay for the plan. A July 1993 scoring also resulted in positive outcomes, with the CBO saying that as the program was phased in, the administrative savings from switching to a single-payer system would offset much of the increased demand for healthcare services. Later, the cap of the growth of the national health budget would hold the rate of growth in spending below the baseline. The CBO also scored Senator Paul Wellstone's American Health and Security Act of 1993 in December of 93, finding that by year five and in subsequent years, the new system would cost less than baseline. So, kind of jumping ahead... Um, as of uh, February 2020, a study published in The Lancet found that the Pro's Medicare for All Act would save 68,000 lives and $450 billion in national health care expenditures annually. So it seems like a pretty good thing. And I, I think that's pretty good. I, I think all things considered, obviously, I don't have all of the facts. Um, but I think it does seem like a, something to consider. And kind of going into what's kind of the difference between this and the proposed, um, the Medicare for All Her Want It, um, which is a little bit different. It's something that uh, Pete Buttigieg has been talking about for a while. And I do have um, kind of an opinion article that I got from The Hill, which... I don't know if I necessarily agree with 100%, um, but we can get to that after I kind of go through this Medicare all. This is an article written for Healthline in September of 2019. Um, I guess let me, let me say before I get to this, I kind of want to go a little personal. So I kind of just pulled this up just now because I was curious. I'm going to quickly run the numbers to see. Okay, so I just did the number. I just pulled up a, a recent paycheck to see how much I actually pay for my insurance, my my premiums or whatever that I pay um, to my employer essentially for my uh, private insurance that I have that my employer provides. I pay roughly a hundred dollars a pay period, which is roughly two hundred dollars a month. So. With that saying, so I pay um, about $2,400 a year for health insurance, like basic health, dental, vision, all of that. And I'm a relatively healthy guy, so I don't go to the doctor that regularly. But interestingly enough, um, kind of saying where it could be a benefit is that in the past three years uh, with my current employer, my employer hasn't changed, I've stayed in the same company. I am on my third health insurance company. So I'm currently with Blue Cross Blue Shield. Previously for that, I was with United Healthcare. Before that, I was with Cigna. Too much information probably, but it doesn't really matter. But in every time that's happened, I've had to get a new primary care physician. And this year, which um, for the first time, I had to get a new 
uh, eye doctor and dentist. Uh, the past three years also had to get new dentists. So new year I have, so in the three past three years I've had, we'll have had three dentists, uh, two eye doctors and three different primary care physicians. And which seems kind of crazy for the fact that, and I know the company, the uh, company does like all companies do every year, their HR and all that find work with, uh, various private health insurance to find, the most cost-effective one for them that still provides the amount of coverage uh, for their employees. And you can see as much as, like, even if you go back to, like, the show The Office. In the early season, they had a whole thing about uh, healthcare and how trying to find the most cost-effective plan. That was this whole big thing. And, yeah, so it's definitely a prevalent thing, and I can get why it's important. And even with health insurance, you're still going to have out-of-pocket. There's always a deductible and co-pays and all of that that you have to pay. Not to say that that would entirely go away in a Medicare for All system. That's something that I still have to dig some more into. I'm just trying to get the full, the full scope of things here. But it is what's annoying, and the fact that um, even though I am married, it is more. It was more cost effective for my wife and I to be on separate insurances because the cost of adding. One of us to the other person's employer-based pan involved scarring costs because obviously the cost to insure two people versus one obviously you're basically doubling the cost plus the employer if they're one if you want to have your spouse on your plan there's also an added cost as well because they have to pay additional money to insure your spouse or your dependent or whatever that goes through so it's interesting that that would all kind of go away in a Medicare for All system because everyone doesn't have, no longer has to go through their employer. It's just a negotiation between you and the government or you and whatever the the healthcare provider is. The, the one and done, the one-stop shop, essentially. So it is interesting how much issue is there. And obviously I don't have um, regular prescriptions I take. I don't go to the doctor regularly. Um... Not by, like, avoidance, it's just I, I'm a relatively healthy person. I don't need to see a doctor regularly for any uh, prescriptions or anything like that. So I don't it's a mess with as much. I'm about to say that I won't need it in a few years, or that's not the case for everyone. Some people have to go to the doctor monthly, weekly. Like, I have friends that go very often, multiple times a week or multiple times a month. And it's, I understand that cost adds up when you go through private, and sometimes the employer won't you're too much for your employer and you have to go outside of it and pay more and all that. And yeah, it's, I can understand it's kind of crazy. So let's kind of get out of the personal and back into what is Medicare for all thing and why this is kind of a big talking point. So this is from Healthline. This is says Medicare for all. What is it and how will it work? So ask someone what they think of the, about the day of Medicare for all. That is one national health insurance plan for all Americans. Now you hear one of two opinions. Okay, it sounds great and can eventually fix the country's broken healthcare system, or two, that it would be the downfall of our country's broken healthcare system. What you won't likely want actually hear is a same fact-based estimation of what Medicare for All is and would actually entail and how it could affect you. So, one of the biggest misconceptions about Medicare for All is that it's just one proposal on the table. In fact, there's a number of different proposals out there. Uh, most people tend to think of the most far-reaching Medicare for All proposals, which are outlined in bills sponsored by Senator Bernie Sanders and Rep. Pramila Jayapal, sorry, 
but there are a number of rules out there that would expand the role of public programs in healthcare. Although all these plans tend to get grouped together, there are key differences among the various options. And as we know in healthcare, the difference in, in details really matter. So according to Kaiser Family Foundation, Sanderson Jayapal's bills, S1129 and HR 1384 respectively, share many similarities such as comprehensive benefits, tax, finance, a replacement for all private health insurance as well as the current Medicare program, lifetime enrollments, no premiums, all state licensed certified providers who meet eligibility standards can apply. Other bills put a slightly different spin on a single payer health insurance, for instance, may give you the right to opt out of the plan, offer this health care only to people who don't qualify for a Medicaid, and make it eligible for people who are only between the ages of 50 and 64. Then it gives us tax. 27.5 million people do not currently have United States have health care insurance in the United States. 45% uninsured adults said the high cost of coverage was the reason they remained uninsured. So how exactly would Medicare for all work? As far as Sanders and Jayapal bills go, the simplest explanation is that these bills would move the United States from a current multi-payer health care system to what is now known as a single-payer system. Right now, multiple groups pay for health care that includes private health insurance companies, employers, and the government through programs like Medicare and Medicaid. Under Medicare for All, we would have only a single entity, in this case, a federal government, paying for health care. This would largely eliminate the role of private health insurance companies and employers from providing health insurance and paying for health care. The current Medicare program wouldn't exactly vanish. It would simply be expanded to cover everyone and would include much more robust benefits such as long-term care, that is not currently covered by Medicare right now. So what might an out-of-pocket cost look like for different income packets? So despite what some online conspiracy theories warn, under the Sanders and Jayapal bills, there are virtually no out-of-pocket costs for health care-related expenses. The bills would prohibit deductibles, co-insurance, co-pays, and surprise medical bills for health care services and items covered under Medicare for all. And I will say that that is a good point because obviously... Like, I know just, like, from looking all, like, through my employer-based, like, healthcare stuff, it's like, oh, if you have taken ambulance, ambulance is this much. If you go to the ER, the ER is this much. But it's not, like, the necessary that the ER is, it's just using the ER is this much. But once the services are rendered inside it, it's one thing. As many of you know, I've talked about this uh, last summer. Um, I did have an incident while working on my home that involved me having to go to the ER. I didn't take an ambulance, obviously. It wasn't that severe, but... I did have to go to the ER because it, it was a holiday, uh, and I couldn't go to like a my primary care physician. I couldn't go to a like a walk-in, kind of more severe than that. So, using the same, I had to go, and there was cost associated to go to the ER, and then I had to cost associated for the actual services rendered. So it wasn't just getting to the the hospital was the the fee. It was oh now you, you saw a doctor that actually did your service. That's another additional charge on top of the hospital charge. So obviously, surprise medical bills are a thing there, and I remember years back, um, having, like, a procedure done and having, like, multiple bills show up in the mail over a couple weeks. It was like, oh, like, it, this part cost this, it got its own bill in this part, and then, like, anesthesia cost, from, it's like, so it's all this stuff, and you don't get, like, one lump sum. You don't get an itemized of, like, this is all, this, from the day you walked in, the moment you walked out, this is it. It's a bunch of different things you have to go through different people, so I get that. So you may have to pay some out-of-pocket costs that aren't covered by the program, but the benefits are expansive, so it's not clear. Oh, sorry, I kind of jumped back in. So, um, what they saying, some of these bills would prevent, like I said, deductibles, co-insurance, co-pays, and surprise medical bills. But you may still have to pay some out-of-pocket costs for services that aren't covered by the program. But the benefits are expansive, so it's not clear that this would happen often. So the dry bill fully prohibits all cost-sharing. 
The standards bill allows for a very limited out-of-pocket costs, up to $200 per year for prescription drugs, but that doesn't apply to individuals of family with an income under 200% of the federal poverty level. Interesting. So other proposals, such as the Medicare for America Act from Reps Rosa DeLaro and Jane Schakowsky, uh, would nix out-of-pocket costs for low-income individuals, but people in higher-income brackets would pay more, up to $3,500 in out-of-pocket costs for individuals or $5,000 for a family. So will you be able to keep your doctor? So this is taking point for many people and why not? It's not, it can take time to find a doctor you trust and once you do, you don't want to walk away from the relationship. And I agree with that. Like the fact that, like guys, I'm not a person who has a regular meeting with their doctor. Like I saw my previous primary care physician, my first one, so three years ago, I saw that person twice. Uh, the last one I saw, I think three times over the course of the year. And I still, it's now middle of February, end of February, uh, and I have not uh, even picked a new primary care physician because I haven't found one in my network that is close by enough or one that I'm familiar with. So that kind of stinks, but I will find one due time. Um, so I can understand once you find one you like. Like, I really liked my, my dentist, my original one, so... When I lost that one because uh, when I switched insurance carriers, I waited till basically November to to get to find one that I liked, and it was fine. I went there for cleaning; it wasn't anything big deal. My teeth are fine, so did that. Now I still have to find a new one. And my eye doctor, which I actually have not changed since I've been there, so it'll be my second one this year. But up to this point, in the since I've been up in this area uh, with my company, so and I had to find a new eye doctor. All of a sudden, that one was. Really nice, because I liked the guy, and he was right by my house, so it was super convenient. So, that kind of stinks. But the good news is that um, that in the Medicare for All bills, generally build on the current provider system, so doctors and hospitals that already accept Medicare could likely continue to do so. It wasn't clear whether all providers would choose to participate in the program since they currently won't be required to do so. The bill includes a private pay option where providers and individuals could come up with their own arrangement to pay for health care, but this would be outside of the Medicare for All program, and that would have to follow certain requirements for doing so. So, uh, will private insurance still be available? Neither the Sanders nor Dreadpool bills would allow private health insurance to operate the way it does now. In fact, both bills would prohibit employers and insurance companies from offering insurance that covers the same benefits that would provide it under the Medicare for All program. Keith said, in other words, insurers couldn't offer coverage that would duplicate the benefits of services of Medicare for All. Considering that in 2018, the average cost for employer-based family health care was up 5%, Generally 20000 per year, maybe that's not a bad thing. The number of Americans without health insurance also increased in 2018 to $27.5 According to a report issued in September by the Census Bureau, this is the first increase in uninsured people since the Affordable Care Act took effect in 2013. A Medicare for All option could provide coverage for a significant number of those who are currently unable to afford health care under the current system. So, will increases in conditions be covered? Another big point a lot of people have. Yes. So under the Affordable Care Act, a health insurer can't refuse to give you coverage because of a health insurance you already have. This includes cancer, diabetes, asthma, and even high blood pressure. Before the ACA, private insurers were allowed to turn down prospective members, charge higher premiums, or limit benefits based on your health history. Medicare for All plans will operate the same way as the ACA. Okay. Will Medicare for All solve all the problems of our current health care system? 
The honest, although somewhat dissatisfying answer at the stage is it depends. The, this would be a brand new, very ambitious program that would require a lot of changes in the way healthcare is paid for in the United States. There are likely to be at least some unintended consequences and other costs in the form of higher taxes, at least for some people. But if the bill works as well in the real life as they look on paper, people will be insulated from the out-of-pocket costs like high prescription costs and surprise hospital bills. So let's say Medicare for All happens. How would the transition occur? That depends on how disruptive of a model is adopted. If we literally eliminate all private insurance and give everyone a Medicare card, it would probably be implemented by age groups. People would have a few years transition, and once it's your turn, you'd move from private coverage and into this plan. Because the mass majority of providers take Medicare now, conceptually, it's not that complicated. Although the current Medicare program truly is, while it covered basic costs, many people still have to pay extra for Medicare Advantage, which is similar to a private health insurance plan. If legislators decided to keep that around, open enrollment would be necessary. You're not being just being mailed a card, but you'd have a choice of five plans. Preserve that option, and that offers a layer of complexity. Architects of a single-payer healthcare system will also have to tweak Medicare to make it suitable for people who aren't over 65. You have to come up with a billing codes and payment rates and enroll a bunch of pediatricians and providers who, are currently, who aren't currently involved with Medicare. There's a lot that would have to happen behind the scenes. So how will it be paid for? So the specs vary a bit uh, plan to plan. In Jared Paul's bill, for instance, Medicare for All would be funded by the federal government using money which otherwise would go to Medicare, Medicaid, and other federal programs that pay for health services. But when you get right down to it, the funding for all the plan comes down to taxes. That still might not be as awful as it sounds. After all, you'll be paying health insurance premiums. Although you may be able to say right now that your employer pays part of your health benefits, um, Will said you're also paying office co-pays and deductibles. With Medicare for All proposals, some portion of the money you're now paying towards health insurance would be shifted to taxes. So will the quality of care go down? I know that's what some people who are against it have said. So the rhetorical response to single-payer health insurance is that government-controlled health care it's then used to argue that the government would be making important decisions about the care you get and don't get in who you see. But Medicare for All would actually give you more choices than private insurance. With Medicare, you can go to any doctor. I have private insurance and, a lot, and have a lot more restrictions as to who I see, which I've stated uh, just now um, when I talked about my own thing. So how likely is that Medicare for All will happen? Likely, but not anytime soon, uh, guesses uh, the writer here. So I think we're divided politically in a lot of ways as a country. I don't see our political process able to metabolize change on this scale. Plus, healthcare providers, legislators, policymakers, insurance providers are still trying to wrap their heads around what this change would mean. When people are polled on the subject, they agree that the concept of Medicare for All sounds good, but when you talk about a disruption in coverage and the potential of taxes to go up, people's support starts to weaken. Although there's a growing sense that our current healthcare system isn't sustainable, you learn to navigate what you have. In other words, you may despise health insurance, but at least you understand just how awful it is. Well, thanks... Um, it's likely that elements of pressure will start making the debate about Medicare for All less relevant. Healthcare systems will continue merging and buying up acute care centers, for instance, prices will keep rising. Public outreach will force government to step in and regulate the healthcare system over time. And once you have a consolidated regulated industry, it's not that different from the single payer. And it might be as different as you feared, it is much better for your health and your wallet than you hoped. Which one thing is interesting, and I did um, have this kind of pointed out in that video. Um, from, that John Oliver put out about the Medicare for All is that there are a large number of employees in the country that work for health insurance companies or people who work in hospitals that their job is involved working with these health insurance companies to figure out rates and all of that stuff. So 
obviously if you went if you, all that goes away you're also gonna have a lot of unemployed people with a very specific skill set that are they either gonna get offered a government job to do similar work are they gonna be offered relocation are they just gonna be given their severance package and have to find new work somewhere else that is something that is tricky and something that has to be discussed the same reason when I talked about how as much as the Disney Fox merger was great for entertainment content it kind of sucked for the employees that are still being uh, let go even even up to recently seeing layoffs and consolidation and closure of studios so I, I can see that at the top level, it seems great. But once you get into the weeds, is it really a great option? Is it really something that we all should be should go for? And obviously, um, like others have said, it could be a slippery slope. Are you trading the amount you pay for insurance premiums? Are you just going to be swapping that for taxes? Are you still going to get the same coverage you would normally? Are you going to see that oh, maybe your doctor's still not going to go in with it. Are you going to see people leave the medical field? Like, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. And even if, let's say, even if Sanders, who's, I think, the biggest proponent for Medicare for All, say he got elected in November, he can't stop everything this time next year. He can't just be like, all right, I'm not president. Now, Medicare for All is a thing. Presidentials are gone. You can't. You can't blow up the system in week two without causing chaos. There has to be a slow transition to make... Because you got to prove this to Matt. You can't just put someone on... You can't put a bunch of people on a train that's still being built and hope it gets to where it wants okay. you got to kind of set it up, do it case by case. Maybe it is a rollout based on age. Like, all right, let's say now... Say Medicare currently exists, people are 65. All right, let's drop it 55 to 65 then 45 to 65 and work ourselves down until you get to infants. Maybe the infants are the last group because infants also require a lot of health care. And like it says here, a lot of pediatricians and younger don't have to mess with Medicare because Medicare is for people over age 65 right now. So maybe that's what it has to be. Maybe it has to be case studies or groups or state by state. I don't know what it's going to have to be, but as much as it seemed appealing, and I did go in to today, like when I was talking tonight earlier about this or when I was doing my little bit of research, I wasn't sure I felt about it. Like I do think it's a good idea, but it's a, it's a whole big thing that we haven't fully formed out. And even the people who are major proponents of this, like Bernie Sanders, like Elizabeth Warren, who are really on board with this Medicare for all, or even the likes of uh, Buttigieg, who's big proponent is Medicare for all who want it, which is similar, except it does keep the private insurance in place it gives you the option it gives you a public option you can choose instead or if you don't have the private option you get the public option there's a lot more there it's it almost seems like his plan is more of a stepping stone to get to sanders's plan or it's just a way to still impede private insurers and maybe we do have to do some semblance of that first to have the um the fully public system that other countries have or some some other work there. So there's definitely a lot of gray area, but I did want to at least ask the question. So if you do have your own thoughts, feelings about it, um, maybe anyone who maybe is currently on the, a part of the, who's getting medical coverage from the Affordable Care Act or through other means, 
feel free to reach out to me, pose the question. I'll be happy to discuss it more with you guys. Um, I know this is going to be a topic that's going to be prevalent uh, the rest of this year as we narrow down the Democratic uh, candidate pool as we get into the general election. It's going to be a big thing, and it's, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. I don't think, like, if Sanders is out and Buttigieg is out and Warren's out at some point, that, that doesn't mean the Medicare for, Medicare for All topic goes away. It's bigger than any one candidate. It's better than the election. It's, I think, the way the future is going to go, but it's necessarily of how it's going to get there and how we get it the best chance possible. So that's kind of where I wanted to leave the show today. I know there's still a lot to discuss with this. So I'm happy to delve in this further. Um, please provide comments, feedback, thoughts about this and anything else for the show. Um, looking forward, next week's show actually falls on my birthday, which is exciting. It's a big birthday for me. I'll be turning 30, so that's pretty crazy. And it also will be um, involving a shift in the format for Poor 360. Uh, I'll talk about this more on next week's show, but... Uh, Poor360 will be shifting its schedule a little bit. It'll no longer be uh, a weekly show. It will be shifting to bi-weekly. Um, just to allow me more time to kind of deal with all the stuff that's going on in my life. Plus, um, focus more on bringing some good quality content. Line up guests. Uh, line up um, kind of uh, segments on the show. Just ways to make the show better. For me as the host and for you as the listener as we move uh, further into 2020, and being able to break this up will give me a chance to throw in maybe some live shows because obviously as we get closer to these, um, into this election system, into the cycle as we get uh, later in the year once we will have a live show after uh, both the Democrat and Republican National Conventions, after the debates that we'll see in the fall, um, election night obviously in november will probably be something i will probably start planning sooner rather than later probably late in the summer um getting some people over having a little bit of a uh kind of a party maybe maybe not party is a bad word but maybe just get some people over here um and get some cameras set up and we can just kind of discuss like the the big pundits and um news media agencies do uh on election night and then we can maybe ring in who the new uh, president will be if it's if Trump does secure a second term. If we do have a Democratic president uh, take control, we'll kind of have to play it out. But I think uh, opening up the schedule a little bit will allow that. I don't know what will be filling in uh, the off weeks on uh, the Poor 360 or that a Poor-centered show uh, has done since... Uh, since the network came into existence. So that it's going to be a transition. I know people who are big into the next know that um, that Podcastry is currently on a hiatus um, for similar reasons. And it's just, it's as the network evolves, this is just something that's going to become uh, more complex and new shows are going to come in. Old shows might phase out or consolidate or do anything, but everything is good. Uh, I'm not going anywhere. I just... Uh, Need more time to bring you guys better shows, and I think bringing you a half-hour show or a 20-minute show or an hour show that's not up to the quality I want to bring is not worth bringing to you at all. And I think giving a chance where I can spend two weeks bringing you a show as opposed to working on it the night before, the weekend before, or the hour before, how sometimes it happens. So I just, I really wanted to um, kind of love with you guys on that. Um, 
As we move forward with episode 60, we're already uh, the highest number of shows with a poor in the title that we've had. So definitely I'm happy to see the show move forward. And yeah, um, maybe we'll have, well, like I said, we're going to try and do some live shows, some immediate reaction shows. We're going to we're gonna do some more and maybe we'll have some road shows coming up. Um, I haven't had to travel for work in a while, so I haven't done any road segments in a bit. But that's probably going to change this year, so maybe I'll have some of that for you as well. But in the meantime, that has been episode 58 of Poor360. I so enjoyed being able to talk to you and share topics and... Uh, we'll see that change a little bit because obviously um, coming up March 3rd will be the, the first day in a long time that we won't have a poor 360 show. So uh, there will be content. I'm going to try and um, do more with the social media. I did bring the Twitter back. The Twitter didn't go anywhere, but it was, it was inactive for almost a year because I was posting mainly on Facebook. So and I, on Twitter, I'm going to try and be at least uh, a few times a week. I'm going to try and get content out to you guys. I am going to share the link uh, to the registration. Um, and I'll try and be more active outside of this. And I'm going to try and get some other shows on the network because I do love uh, talking with other people on the network, especially when Nate and I can have a good discussion, or Tyler and I, or Dick and I, or anyone that. And then um, I know adulting is going to come back uh, in the spring, so that's something to look forward to as well. I love doing uh, podcasts with my wife, so... Definitely stay tuned for all of that, but I don't want to take any more of your time. So thank you guys for listening to Poor360, episode 58 on Medicare for All. Thank you guys.